as I look around and I see the empty seats, uh, I'm, I'm conscious that some people are away on holiday. Um, the last few weeks, as I've been working away, it's, it's hard to look at those empty seats. So my turn has finally come. Um, I'm going to be off for the next three weeks. And, and I tell you that, just if you need uh, any pastoral care, any help, uh, be in touch with our church office and the folks there will direct you to the help that you need. Uh, thank you for that. Wasn't that a lovely song uh, just to sing, even if I've never sung it before? Um, just a, a lovely sense of God's invitation. So let's pray before we come to his word. Uh, Lord, you're the God who is always inviting us to come. Uh, Jesus' first words recorded for us in the Gospels were, Come, follow me, as he invited men and women, boys and girls, to come and enter into new life in the kingdom of God. Lord, help us to hear your invitation, first of all, to your word. Lord, thank you that you speak to us. And then help us today to hear the invitation in your word as we consider this passage together. Amen. Folks, I, I don't consider myself uh, a very regular attender of dinner parties, so don't be uh, confused by the way I, I start my sermon. I have been to some dinner parties, and I've been to enough maybe to, to spot some patterns and, and see some different types of parties. So there's the impressive dinner party. Wealthy host, classy venue, impressive guests, polite conversation. When you attend an impressive dinner party, the, the main thing you come away with is a sense of being impressed. You're impressed by the host, you're impressed by the other guests. You're, you're a wee bit impressed by yourself because you were invited after all. You can leave feeling impressed, but also you can sometimes leave a party like that wondering, what was that? What was that all about? Why was I invited? There's another type of dinner party. I'll call it the authentic dinner party. The host may or may not be wealthy. Their home may be large or small. The guests are quite normal. People like ourselves. And we sometimes end up talking about real things, about our real lives in a real way, opening our hearts and our lives to each other. When you leave this kind of a party, you don't leave feeling impressed particularly, but grateful. Grateful for the gracious hospitality. Grateful for the openness of the host, which has created openness among the guests. Grateful to have spoken truly about your life and the life of others. I suspect that Jesus knew the difference between these two types of party that I've described. In Luke 14, it looks to me like he's ended up at a type one impressive dinner party, but he wishes it was a type two, an authentic dinner party. Let's have a look and see if I've got that right. Luke sets the scene, verse 1 of chapter 14, on the Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Certainly feels like type A, doesn't it? Type 1. An impressive host, 
other impressive guests weighing up the, the stranger, Jesus being carefully watched. Put yourself for a moment in Jesus' shoes. How, how do you behave if you ever end up in, in that kind of an environment? What do you do? You behave yourself, don't you? You smile and you agree. You steer clear of controversial topics. You try hard to, to, to fit in, smooth things over. It's an impressive gathering and you want to impress. If that's the unwritten rule of impressive dinner parties, Jesus didn't seem to get the memo. Jesus behaves as he always behaves. Full of grace, but always speaking truth. In the first part of our chapter, we find him sharing a few home, home truths at this dinner party. So, first of all, he tells us a truth about loving people, verses 2 to 6. <clears throat> Last week, we noticed how uh, people were trying to put limits on who they were required to love. Do you remember that? In answer to the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus showed that we shouldn't be asking how, how few people can I get away with loving, but how many people can I love? We can be neighbors to anyone. Jesus said there are no limits on who disciples of Jesus Christ love. Today at this meal, the issue is one of timing. These guys want to put limits on when we show God's love. They clearly believe that Jesus shouldn't heal this guy, love him in the way that he needs to be loved on the Sabbath, but Jesus doesn't agree. He, he thinks it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. Of course it's okay, he says. If your son or one of your animals fell into a well, you'd pull them out in a flash, even if it was the Sabbath. Well, if you can do that to one of your animals, then surely you won't be offended if I reach down for this poor man here and pull him out of the ditch that he's found himself in. We are free to love, Jesus says, all of the time. We're free to love all people all of the time. There are no limits to when disciples of Jesus Christ show love. It's hard to argue with Jesus' logic, but it has already made for an uncomfortable moment at this banquet. Luke tells us, verse 6, the guests at the party had nothing to say. We, we talk about tumbleweed moments. Well, here's the first one at this party. Maybe Jesus will read the room a little bit better and he'll get a little bit politer as he goes along. He doesn't. As soon as he's finished telling the truth about love, he goes on to tell the truth about the guests' social climbing. Jesus must have been one of the first guests or certainly an early guest to arrive at this dinner party because we read in verse 7 that he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. He saw them all scrambling to get the best seats near the head of the table where the, the big guns were. And when the last guest was seated, he got the attention of the whole gathering and he gave them some advice. When you're a guest, don't sit in the best seat. You might be move, moved down a peg or two if a more important person comes along. You're better to sit in the lowest place and maybe then the host will promote you. 
This seems like good common sense. Jesus is being honest with the guests about how they're behaving, and he's given them some sound advice. When he summarizes his thinking on the subject in verse 11, it feels as though he's talking about more than seats at dinner tables. He's given us wisdom and a warning for how to live the whole of our lives. Those who exalt themselves, he says, will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Ouch. The second intervention. If Jesus hasn't stood on your toes with the healing incident, then this rabbi has probably offended everyone by where they're seated at the table. Jesus is proving to be a not very polite dinner guest. He's, he's telling the truth and he's keeping it real in a context where people expect just politeness. So far, Jesus has been challenging the guests. This impressive dinner party, it's been turning into an uncomfortable dinner party. And just when you think it can't get any worse, Jesus does the unimaginable. He turns to the head of the table, to the host himself. Listen, you've been very kind having us all round for dinner. But as I look round, I can't help but notice that you've gone for the impressive dinner party list. You've invited your relatives, your friends, your wealthy neighbors. Listen, I know how this works. You've invited us because you realize that we'll repay your hospitality and we'll have you around for dinner in the near future. You've scratched our back, so we'll scratch yours. Next time. Next time you have a dinner party, invite the poor and the homeless and others who won't be able to return the favor. Since they won't be able to repay you, God will make sure that you get your full reward at the resurrection. Ouch. Again, what Jesus says is absolutely true. Hospitality that seems to be generous and gracious on the surface can often be contractual. Those who give the hospitality expecting something in return. As I've been revisiting this very familiar passage this week and meditating on it, I've just been, I've come to a conclusion that Jesus really didn't like this party that he was at. I think he likes the people. Jesus loves people, but he doesn't like this. He doesn't like what this party's become. It's supposed to be an impressive dinner party, but I don't think Jesus is impressed. It's not the kind of party he would host. I imagine what kind of a party Jesus Christ would host. In contrast to this one, those who are sick, in trouble, in any kind of need would find help. The humble would be raised up. Jesus might well be washing their feet, certainly be serving them. Everyone would be invited with no expectation of anything in return. Jesus would host a dinner party in the way he lived his life, and that is with grace from start to finish. <clears throat> well, 
Jesus isn't hosting this dinner party. So let's come back to the real dinner party that Luke is describing here in chapter 14. Jesus, we've seen, he's, he's unsettled the guests. He's unsettled the host. I, I'm imagining that everyone's feeling really awkward by now. You, you can see the guests looking at each other around the table. Somebody stop this. Change the topic for goodness sake. Put us out of our misery. So sure enough, one of the guys does. And he, he decides to, to get this out of the concrete and raise it to a higher plane. He, he decides to go spiritual. Jesus, you've mentioned the resurrection of the righteous. I can't wait to be at that great dinner party in heaven. And everybody breathes a sigh of relief. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. All this stuff about this actual dinner party, we're going to forget about that now and just talk about spiritual stuff. This guest was probably a a Pharisee himself, and that's important. As far as he was concerned, he was absolutely certain that he would be at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. So finally, we have something in our conversation that Jesus and his guests and the guests are going to agree about. Of course, this Pharisee is going to be at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. I I think this Pharisee is saying what he says, half expecting Jesus to, to shout out, Amen, brother. Praise the Lord. I'll keep you a seat right beside me at the feast. If that's what the guy was hoping for, he's sorely disappointed. Jesus tells a story. Doesn't reassure him that he'll be with him at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Tells a story and finally we get to our reading. He, he's still telling the truth about dinner parties. But now he's, he's talking about the one great dinner party in heaven. Let me explain for a second how dinner parties worked in Jesus' time so that we can understand properly uh, this story Jesus tells. Whenever a host decided to throw a party, they'd set the date a few days in advance. They'd send out their invitations, and if you or I were coming, we'd, we'd agree or decline a few days in advance. It's probably, probably the closest analogy is a wedding where you get that invitation weeks in advance. So the host knows who's agreed to come. Then on the day of the banquet, when things are ready, he sends out his servants to those who've agreed to come and said, come, everything is now ready. As this story unfolds, we realize that the people on the guest list snub the host. That's mad. They had already said they were coming. Every expectation is that these people would be coming. There's nothing accidental or incidental about this. These are the very people who, who we expect to see at the feast. The host has put on a, a wonderful meal for them, the best food and wine, and they can't even be bothered showing up. Did you notice how rude the excuses were? Verses 18 to 20. These 
invited guests don't even do the host the courtesy of dreaming up good excuses. The excuses are rubbish. If the guy's already bought a field, what's so urgent that he needs to go and look at it right now? Same for the oxen. Can they not wait till tomorrow till we road test them or whatever you do with oxen? Since when does being married rule you out of going to a party? The excuses are lame and they're rude. They're a deliberate slap in the face to the the host. Listen, you can stuff your party. There are a million other things I'd rather do with my time than spend it with you. Begs a question, doesn't it? What lame excuses am I still rehearsing? for not coming to God in Jesus Christ. If you haven't come to God in Jesus Christ yet, that's a question I want you to be thinking about. Back to Jesus' story. When he's heard the excuses from the people in the first guest list, we we hear that the host is angry. And and the more I think about it, the less I'm surprised. If you've gone to great lengths to put on a party, if if you've invited the, the very people, every expectation is that they would come. They've told you they're gonna come and they don't show up. You you'll feel you'll feel hurt. And as you know, hurt and anger often go hand in hand. This is the, the anger that, that comes from, from feeling hurt. Folks, many of us have lived all of our lives with this gracious invitation of God in Jesus Christ before us. When we refuse God's invitation, that, that hurts him. And Jesus tells us it, it makes him angry. Think about that for a moment. We're not even worthy to enter his presence, never mind to take a seat with him at a table. It it has cost God a great deal to to throw open the the doors of heaven to me, to, to put a seat at a table for you. It took a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem, stained with the blood of God's own son to do that. That's the price that he's paid to put on this banquet. And when we turn him down, we slap him in the face. God, who's given us everything because he loves us, no wonder he's angry. So the master, we're told in this story, is angry. But he doesn't cancel the party. And what he does next is remarkable. The first guest list crumples it up, throws it in a bin, hands his servant a new guest list, and he says, go. Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Those we expected at this party 
they haven't shown up. So go to those who didn't even expect to be invited. Tell me this. And I think this will be true for some of you today. Do you consider yourself an unlikely person to keep company with the living God? To be invited to keep company with him? I have great news for you today. You are invited. Once the servant has invited the unexpected and the unlikely, he returns, he reports to the master. He says, Master, I've done that, but there's still room at the table. I, I love the master's response. He doesn't go, oh, that's all right, put away some of those chairs. No, he wants every single chair filled. So he says, spread the net even wider. Go to the roads, the country lanes. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. For me, there's a sense of geographical spread here. It's like we're going to keep going. We're going to go wider and wider and wider until every seat at this table is filled. There are no outsiders to this love, this gracious love of God. There are no borders to, to stop this invitation going out. There's going to be a party. And it's going to be full. Absolutely full. Not a seat left. Friends, do you consider yourself somehow an outsider? Somehow too far from the the invitation, the grace of God. Great news for you. You're invited, whoever you are. Folks, do you see what we have here with this story? The, the Bible scholars would talk about Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God having a, a strong element of reversal. There are times when he just turns the world on its head. And I think in this parable, we get a very strong sense of that. The guests who have been invited, the people who we expected to see at this dinner party, they aren't there. Why? Because they didn't want to come. And people who hadn't even dreamt of the possibility that they might be invited, they are there. Why? Simply because they said, I'll come. World turned upside down. Life exactly the opposite of how we experience it and how we expect it. This is challenging stuff. And I think Jesus gives us a whole lot to think about. What we need to think about here, I think, depends on, on where we're coming from, who we are. Some of us, like the Pharisees at this dinner party, we have a religious background. We're the ones who've grown up with the invitation of Jesus ringing in our ears. We've been to Sunday school, we've been to church, we've heard about Jesus for as long as we can remember. And maybe, maybe the result is that, like the guy in verse 15, we start to make assumptions 
we assume that because of where we grew up, because we, we grew up with the invitation that we're right with God, that we're Christians, and that we have a place reserved for us in heaven. That, that can be our assumption. Friends, don't miss the, the central point of Jesus' parable. Hearing the invitation, no matter how many times we've heard it, isn't enough. To live life with God, to be assured of a place in heaven, we must accept the invitation. We've got to set aside for once and for all, all of our excuses. Our stupid excuses, our rude excuses, the ones that seem valid to us, none of them finally are when they're excuses that stand in the way of receiving an invitation to the kingdom of God. I bought a field, I bought five yoke of oxen, I've married a wife, or whatever version of those excuses we come up with in 2023. While we choose to live like that, making excuses for why we won't come to God, we must be clear. Just like the master in this parable, God is angry with us. We need to come to Jesus. Even if we've been living all of our lives with that invitation, especially if we've been living all of our lives with that invitation, we must come to Jesus. We've got to say yes to him. I'm coming to you. I want to be with you. I want to be at the bank. If you're ready to do that today, speak to somebody you know who already knows Jesus. Let them help you to say yes to Jesus. I'm always ready to help you if, if you'd be willing to talk to me. So this parable is a warning for those who are religious and complacent, but it's also an invitation, I believe, for those who are unlikely and far off. This parable is brilliant news for those who aren't so familiar with the way of God, who haven't grown up all your lives with the invitation. God's planning a party, and he wants you at it. It's a party that'll leave the king's coronation and Glastonbury and all those other ways we celebrate paling into insignificance. It's what God's been planning for you from before the beginning of time. You finding your life in his perfect kingdom with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you find it hard to believe that an invitation like that really is for you. I, I, I'm not the religious type. I, I'm not good enough for God. There can't be a place in God's kingdom for me. Jesus tells us with this story that we're wrong to, to think that way. Look again at what the host says, verse 23. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus commands his servant to do everything that he possibly can to persuade, convince, compel people to come to him. This morning, I, I, I think you'll probably sense it. I'm happy to take on that role of the servant to compel you and to say, you 
whoever you are, lifelong churchgoer or first-timer, you are invited. God wants you in his kingdom. Jesus Christ died to bring you in. This party is ready for you, and it's ready now. Friends, as I close this morning, I want simply to highlight the urgency of what Jesus is saying here. In this story, he shows clearly how you and I are brought into the kingdom. Nobody can come unless God invites them. But if we are to come, we must accept the invitation. We can't save ourselves, but we can damn ourselves. That's our choice. God doesn't force us on himself. If we refuse, it'll be our doing that we don't share in the wonderful blessings of life in the kingdom in this world and the next. A couple of weeks ago, in an introductory parable, we thought about the importance of listening well to God's word. Do you remember that? I hope we've listened well to Jesus this morning. He's told us this is what the kingdom of God's like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered around a table. Not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry. And because they said yes. And there's always room for more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we noticed as we read Luke's account of your visit to the home of the Pharisee that you often made people uncomfortable as you spoke the truth to them. Thank you for loving us enough to speak the uncomfortable truths. Thank you for stirring us in our complacency. Thank you for showing us that unless we say yes to you, unless we respond to your invitation to come through you to know your Father, and we live under the anger of God, and we're lost. Lord, thank you for showing us that uncomfortable truth. Jesus, we thank you for showing us the wonderful reach of your love. Thank you for showing us that the Father will not rest until every seat is filled. Lord, move us now to come to you and to say, yes, I take my seat at the table.
pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.